Let's turn together in God's Word to Genesis chapter 27. We'll be starting at uh, verse 41 of Genesis 27 this morning as we look at God's Word together. Our reading ended last week with Esau pleading with his father to receive a blessing. And he appeared to be repenting. He wept. Verse 38 tells us he's crying out. But as we're going to see this morning, these were not tears of repentance, but tears of of, uh, sadness, thinking he has lost everything, that there's nothing to live for unless his father could bless him. And we pick up the account in verse 41 of Genesis 27 this morning. This is God's word. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. And I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you or why should I lose both of you in one day? And then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth, besides the wives he already had. So far, the reading of God's unholy word may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Your people of God, let's remember the setting of what's, what's going on here as we enter into the story and look at Esau's plan. Jacob had gotten the blessing from his father Isaac. That blessing which Isaac had intended to give to Esau. And Esau was agreeable to his father's plan. He had gone off to hunt and was hoping to bring back a choice, uh, some choice food and receive a blessing from, from Isaac. But 
Rebecca heard about this plan and saw to it that Jacob got the blessing. Both sons were angling for this blessing. Both of them saw the greater portion of their father's estate as what they were living for. They wanted a blessed life and they wanted it now. Well, what does the Bible tell us about the blessed life? What does it say? That we inherit the greater portion of our father's estate? For some of us, that might be quite a wonderful thought. For others of us, we say, well, it's not that much, so I guess my thoughts are elsewhere. But here, here they're thinking about blessing in that way. What does the Bible tell us is the blessed life? It's to know God and to be led by his spirit to live in light of his word. But how often do we want earthly goods more than we want relationship with the Lord? Or to train ourselves to be godly. That's what the scriptures teach us. Train yourselves to be godly. Set your sight on what God delights in. And yet far too often, we put all of our effort into earthly goals. We set our sight on earthly, sights on earthly goods. We want far less than what God wants for us. And we look for happiness in something other than relationship with God. Well, Jacob and Rebecca had worked out their plan. They had gotten the blessing. God wanted them, however, to learn to love and to trust him, to wait upon him. God had promised the blessing to Jacob. It was going to be his. And Jacob sought the blessing by his own means. So Jacob now has the blessing and everything's good, right? Everything's wonderful. Happiness in the, in the valley. Well, not so much. Now he has a brother that wants to kill him. And he's a father who is likely disappointed with him, troubled by what has happened. And he has no real relationship with God. He likely doesn't understand why things are going so poorly because he's taken his sight off of the Lord. Isn't that how it goes? If we take our sight off the Lord and, and trouble comes, we, we think, well, how did this happen? How, 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 how could things get so messed up? And if we go back a few choices, we say, oh, that's where it all began. When I decided to find my own way, to have my own goals, His mother's plan, as I said, had worked, but all was not well. What else had happened in Jacob's life? Well, he came to think that deceit was a good way to go. Hey, I can get things by deceiving people. And he had a wrong understanding of true blessing, which was clear by his choices. Rebecca's plan, which she pulled off with bold deception, Forgot one thing. There's one fly in the ointment, and that is she underestimated Esau's rage at the thought of losing his blessing. Now, Esau had a plan. We read about it there in verse 41 of chapter 27. He says, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Children, who does he sound like? Anybody else in the Bible sound like that? Sounds like a second Cain, doesn't he? Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 4. 
Cain was very angry, and when he and his brother Abel were in the field, he rose up and killed his brother Abel. Here's Esau consoling himself, comforting himself, which is a strange word, verse 42. He's consoling himself, comforting himself with the thought of, I can't wait till I just wipe him out. Oh, that's just going to be great. He's comforting himself with the thought of murder. (laughs) What does the Bible warn us about? It says that sin, when it festers and becomes full grown, leads to death. James 1.15. And it's right here. God's word builds on itself. It, it, it reminds us of what he teaches. Sin, when it is full grown, leads to death. Here was Esau hardened in his rage against God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Esau did not see this as an opportunity to repent, Hebrews 12, but instead to become further hardened in his anger toward ultimately whom? God. He didn't repent of despising his birthright, though he should have. Instead, he planned to get the blessing by murdering his own brother. No respect for God. Made me think this week of the parable that Jesus tells of the tenants when he says that, they're, that God plants a vineyard, the master plants a vineyard, it's a picture of the Lord, he plants a vineyard as he speaks of Israel, and he sends forth his servants to, to call in the harvest, and those uh, workers, when they see the servants come, they kill the servant who comes. And then they kill the other one, and the master says, I'll send my own son. Certainly they'll respect him. But they're so hardened, they're so dead set on their hatred for the master, they take and they kill his own son. Here, Esau is striking out against his own brother. As we think about Esau's plan, we need to ask ourselves, how was Rebecca's plan working out? She She didn't want to lose her two sons and she was going to lose both of them. In a short while, Jacob was going to be sent away, and he's gone for 20 years, and there's no account that she ever sees him again. She says, it'll be for a short while. It's 20 years. And then Esau, what does he do? He goes up into the hills and learns how to, how to kill. He's a mercenary, trained killer. His descendants would be too. They would hate Israel, the Edomites, on through the history of the Scriptures, And we want to wonder, or at least we ought to wonder, could Esau have been turned back from this situation? Could he have been turned back from this path of death that he was on? And it's a warning to us, brothers and sisters, that we are to teach our children the way of the Lord. One of the applications we can come away with in this text, teaching our children that they would know the way of the Lord, that they might grow up loving and living for him. I thought about the development of Esau. He was an aggressive boy who turned into what we would describe as a self-made man and one who had no need of God. And would we measure that as success today? 
Depends who you talk to. But how do we think of this? Well, let's think about what it means when people are self-made or so they think and have no need of God. Well, individuals who have no need for God create civilizations which have no room for God and become attackers of that very civilization upon which they depend. Predatory. Sin kills society. As more and more people turn from the Lord, society... And any blessing that would come from obedience to God is destroyed. Our world seems more and more intent on learning to kill than to cooperate with others and to value life. Friends, there should be a very clear difference between us and the world. If we have relationship with the Lord, it should be very clear. The difference. Between us and those who reject God, we should live for God and others. We should love like God and we should not love self. As I read this passage, the same question that I asked last week came back to mind, a a communication question. Why? Remember, we asked the question last week, why didn't Rebecca just go talk to Isaac? Well, here it's, why didn't Rebecca just go talk to Esau? What's going on? Why is there no communication here? Is this family that dysfunctional? Well, seems to be. How do we communicate with one another? Do we do we communicate? Are we are we open and honest? Do we do we ask questions of each other? How are you, how are things going? Or do we just kind of mumble along in our phones and text each other every now and again with emojis rather than have conversation? And wonder, well, I don't know what happened, where it kind of went wrong all along, somewhere along the way. We just stopped talking to each other, and I, I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they acted that way, we say, when we see something on television. Why did that young person do that? Well, back to Esau. Esau is still trying to get the blessing from his father. He doesn't recognize that blessing comes from Not his earthly father, but his heavenly father. He has a wrong idea of the blessing God wanted to give, namely himself. So he's still trying to get that blessing. Chapter 28, that's what's going on in verse 6 there. What does it say? Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Verse 8, so when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, he went to Ishmael and took a wife from Ishmael's family. Well, I'm just going to well, fix things. We'll just get the right wife. Just go to, the, go to the right place. Maybe now I'll get a blessing. He's still thinking Isaac is the one who's going to give me the blessing that I need most of all. Not thinking about God and, and what is going on in his own family. His wives are calling, causing distress amongst the family. End of chapter 26 tells us Isaac and Rebekah are distraught. End of verse 27, same thing. Uh, uh, chapter 27, she says, I loathe my wife because of the Hittite women. They're, they're just, they're, they're, they don't love the Lord. There's this brokenness. Esau doesn't get it. He's like, well, I just, I heard what dad said to Jacob. Guess I know what I need to do. I need to find a wife from the right family. Get a wife from the right family. Get a prize. 
Bad game show. Well, he sees his father as a relationship with his father as as one of material advantage. How can I get blessing from dad? What do I need to do? Maybe he'll change his mind if I just, maybe there's one more thing. Maybe there's something else I can do that I haven't tried yet. Don't we act that way sometimes? Relationship with the Lord is one of, well, I know what God wants me to do and I really want that over there and if I want that over there, I guess I better try to please my heavenly Father so that I can get that over there, that he'll give it to me. It's just kind of this working relationship. Well, we're going we're gonna to do a few good things and then get the reward that we really want, which is more of that material blessing over there. Not a very deep relationship when we operate that way. It's more manipulative, isn't it? We all do it. Was it that way for Esau towards his father Isaac? It seems that way towards the end. He's so fixated on the blessing that the relationship to his father was a relationship for personal gains. Well, I wanted to say this to the children. How did Esau, how had Esau come to the point of marrying unbelieving wives? What had happened there? We know the Bible says that's not good. Apparently, he didn't listen to his parents when he was young. What would Grandfather Abraham have said? We talked about that a little bit last week. What did he say? He sent his servant off to get a wife for his son Isaac from a land where there were believers or from his homeland. But here Esau, Esau's not listening. He finally realizes that his wives didn't please his father, verse 8. Now, there's so many questions to take. What, is he dense? What, what, what's the problem with Esau? Is he just doesn't get it or they just never talked about this? What's going on here? That's left unknown to us. But whatever the case, we know that Esau is just thinking adding more wives and getting the right one will get him what he wants. That's, that's, not, that's not biblical counsel. <laughs> that's just the reality of what's happening. He goes and gets another wife. No indication that he's repentant over his disobedience. Now, children, listen then. That's what I want you to think about as you read about Esau. Listen to what your parents say at home. Listen to what you hear in church. Listen to what you get in Sunday school, in school, lessons that teach according to God's word. He wants you to walk with him. That's his greatest blessing. Walk with the Lord. I want a relationship with you, he says. He wants you to live for him. Came across an interesting article this week, How to Turn a Child into a Delinquent. Twelve easy rules. We don't have time to look at all 12 of them, but it's just rather interesting. It's a... It's a flyer that was distributed by the police department of Houston, Texas many years ago. It's, 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 it's way out of date. There's not even talk about phones and cell phones in here and all that. It's about reading things. Who reads anymore? But anyway, listen to this. For parents, how to make a child into a delinquent. 12 easy rules. Begin at infancy to give the child everything he wants. In this way, he will grow up to believe the world owes him a living. When he picks up bad language, laugh at him. This will make him think he's cute. 
Never give him spiritual training. Wait until he's 21 and then let him decide for himself. Avoid the use of the word wrong. It may develop a guilt complex. This will condition him to believe later when he's arrested for a crime that society is against him and he's being persecuted. Pick up everything he leaves lying around, books, shoes, clothes, do everything for him so that he will be experienced in throwing all responsibility on others. Here's this ancient advice. Let him read any printed material he can get his hands on. We might say, let him look at anything he wants on his phone. Be careful that the silverware and the drinking glasses are clean, but let his mind feast on garbage. And it goes on. There's, there's more here. The one toward the end is good, is, is, is searching. When he gets into real trouble, apologize for yourself by saying, I never could do anything with him. How often don't we act that way if, in principle, we have different ideas? We, we act this way. It, our practice doesn't match our principle. Esau didn't listen to his parents, or maybe his parents didn't communicate very well to him, didn't listen in Sunday school. He's now a grown man. He's about to take up his own plans with no regard for God. That's the way he's acting all along the way, and he's not the only one to act that way. We've seen Esau's plans. Now let's look at Jacob's path. Jacob had secured the blessing, but he wasn't any different than Esau. He got the blessing by his own means, by deception. He's not walking with the Lord, and he thinks that his greater blessing is what his father can give him. His greatest blessing is is that larger portion. What did the sin do? What what detour did it lead to? We need to think about what sin does. When you read Jacob's story, you're thinking, I don't understand the point here. He got away with it, didn't he? If you're thinking that way, you need to reread the text and the rest of Scripture over and over and over again. That's not the point of the story. Well, if you can deceive like Jacob, then you're good because he was good and he got what he wanted. You're being tempted to put God to the test when we reason that God will overrule any sin that I do so it doesn't really matter then we're not thinking clearly the apostle Paul think about the apostle Paul he spent a large portion of his epistle to the Romans talking about how salvation was by grace alone and then he had people misrepresenting him saying well that basically what Paul teaches is it's all by grace so it doesn't matter how you live you can live however you want and the Lord's just gonna gonna magnify his grace and your wretchedness all the more Paul says no No, that's not what I'm teaching. Listen to what he says. Romans 6. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound, as some are saying? God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And he goes on to say that to live in right relationship with the Lord means to hate sin, to turn from it, and to do that which is delightful to God, as we see in the catechism. Question and answers 88 to 90. So what do we say about Jacob? Well, it's interesting what he says to his father when his father asked him how he found the food so quickly. Remember from last week, he comes in with the food and Isaac says to him, how did you find the food so quickly? What does he say? Did you, get the, did you catch that? I don't know if I mentioned it last week. He said, the Lord, your God, got it for me. Uh, 
pronoun's an interesting one. The Lord, your God, got it for me. What does that say about Jacob? Does he not yet have a relationship with the Lord? One wonders. It's there. It's there for us to think about. Well, what does that mean? Where's Jacob at with the Lord? There still needs to be some growth there. Later on, as we'll see, Lord willing, he meets the Lord and he is left with a limp when he encounters the Lord and wrestles with him and he's reminded of his need for the Lord the rest of his life by the limp that he has. And we are to be instructed by that as well. His deceptive path is not the way. Dependence on the Lord is the way. Well, there's so much more we could say, but Lord willing, we'll see more of these lessons in the chapters ahead. Let's just, let, let's just consider this, that one reaps what they sow. That's, that's a principle that we want to see laid out here. One reaps what they sow. If you sow deception, you'll be deceived. If you lie, you're going to be lied to. If you hate, you're going to be hated. See it in the lives of Jacob. His lies lead him to exile, and there seems to be no way out, but that's a, not the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. That's for later. Before we move on to our last point, note this. God speaks graciously into Jacob's life. The focus is on God, and he works in the lives of those who are broken. And if he didn't work, this mess would completely devolve into something could not be salvaged. Jacob does not deserve blessing, and yet the blessing of Abraham, chapter 28, is passed on to him from his father Isaac. Isaac received it from his father Abraham, and now Jacob receives it, verses 3 and 4. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. He received the word of blessing. Did that seal it for Jacob? Was he, was he good from now on? No. No, he, he heard it, and we need to hear it again and again. But we also need to hear of our need to be saved from ourselves. Was he trusting God from now on? No, as we'll see. Well, how does that work in our lives? What, what, are we, what happens when, when things don't go the way we want them? And do we recall God's promises or do we say, well, those are just words. I need now. <laughs> I need something right now. I, I need escape. I need, I need money. I, I need friends. I, I need, I need a, a passing grade. I, I need work. I need... Fill in the blank. You know, I appreciate all those blessings that you're promising, Lord, but I need right now, I, we won't even come up with the name, Lord. We'll just say, I got to figure out how this is going to work out. I got to make this work. Now, these things may very well seem to be what we would do anything to get, and quite often we try many different things, but God is also telling us that we need Him and to trust in Him. We need to grow in patience and trust and hope and love for him. We need to walk walk with him. We need to talk to him. We need 
And when we do that, our marriages look different, our student life looks different, our business practices look different, our daily conversations look different, our planning looks different. Relationship with the Lord makes a difference in everyday living. It isn't just, well, yeah, when we get to the end, I know, but right now I've got to take care of what's going right on in front of me. It starts now, and it builds. God says, I want you to walk with me. When we make plans without the goal of making much of God, we often may think we're moving toward the right goal or we're moving in the right direction, but we're not. I remember a time traveling in Montana, we had to stop and get gas. We stopped at a gas station and we fueled up and took off down the road and we're Scenery is beautiful. It's, it's, who needs to change, turn around? It's, you can't beat the scenery. And about a half hour into the, that little jaunt, my, my dad says, this isn't the right road. We're, we're not on the right path. No, no, we're good. We're still in Montana. Yeah, but we're headed toward Idaho, and we don't want to be going toward Idaho. We turn around. We, we come back to the gas station, and right there at the gas station is the sign that says, this is where the highway splits. You're supposed to go this. You're supposed to go uh, east and then south, and you went west. And, well, you know the saying for those who don't want to admit they're lost, right? Well, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is we're lost. The good news is we're making great time. We, time, we think that sometimes, don't we? Well, we're lost, but we seem to be making pretty good time. Everything looks good. We're holding, propping things up. Things look productive and, and uh, I think must be okay. Meanwhile, we know we're not on the right path. We're deceiving ourselves. We're acting as Jacob, but to ourselves. If we're not heeding God's word and listening and living it out, we'll not know blessing. It isn't wisdom to say, well, Lord, let's just stay here. Like the Israelites, we just want to go back to Egypt where we had leeks and onions and garlic. We had all that. We just go back. Can you bless us over there? Can you bless us now? Make this the right place. Instead of saying we need to turn around, this is not the way to go. We need to trust the Lord and to wait upon him. Friends, we all like the same things that unbelievers like. We like the new houses. Drive by the open houses and we say, oh, that's a, ah, I could, maybe we could stand up, move up a little bit. That was a pretty nice neighborhood. We like the cars. We like the trips. We are enamored by that. But God says the greater blessing is not for those things to the degree that we want them. He does not say you're living your best life now. He says whatever happens, you need to trust me. You need to listen to me. He's, his blessing is so much bigger than present material blessing. He wants to renew you. He wants to change your heart. He wants you to, to think differently, to, to get rid of anxiety because you perfectly trust in him, because you rest in him. Well, this uh, passage has much to teach us about multiple marriages and marriages to unbelievers as well, but I'm not going to take time to look at Esau's many marriages and what grief they caused this morning. Only say this, that we can learn from Esau what not to do. 
Marriage to an unbeliever is a very dangerous thing to spiritual equilibrium in the home. Our spiritual journey will be blessed if we follow God's commands to marry in the Lord. We'll see Jacob's travels, Lord willing, next Sunday. But we see that he's leaving and he goes away to Padanaram. And as we know, there's much that will consider there. But as Jacob leaves the land of promise, we're confident he'll return because we know the rest of the story. We know the scriptures and how he returns. But it's a picture. Jacob is taking a path and he's, he's going away from the land of promise because of choices he's made and He's in a foreign land. How do we know he's going to return? Well, we know because God is faithful to his promise and we know how God could keep that promise. It was this. It was in this. He laid out the punishment that Jacob deserved upon his own son. He lays the punishment that we deserve upon his own son. As Jacob left the promised land, a deceiver, we ask ourselves, how will he ever return? Only by having those sins removed can one come into the land of promise, can one stand before God. It's because Lord Jesus fully submitted himself to the Father, never sinning, and was cut off from the land that we have the confidence that God will receive us. He endured the curse of hell that we deserve. He did not take things into his own hands. He did not become impatient with his father, but he trusted in him fully. That included the suffering. Our Lord suffered greatly. It wasn't a smooth path, and it ended in crucifixion. What do we do when we have to wait for God's blessing for Drawing near to him. What do we do? Do we try to make our own plans? We try to find our own way, make our own way like Rebecca and Jacob, like Esau. Do we try to control our own story? God says, that won't work. We're to trust in him, to know that in Christ a promise waits for us, for all of God's promises are yes and amen, sealed by Christ's blood. I've been reading First Peter lately, and something that I came across there struck me as, as relating to the story today. First Peter talks about suffering. There is a certain level of suffering going on in the lives of those in in our account today. Peter says this as he's speaking to Christians as they're waiting for their promise from the Lord. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when things don't turn out the way you plan them. They don't work in your timing and your way. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And here's the, here's the ending. While doing good, as we trust in the Lord, is that relationship making a difference in your life? Are you doing good knowing that he will make the way? As he delivered his son from death, so too he shall deliver you from death if you trust in him, waiting upon him, living for him. We may not know how things will turn out as we follow our Lord, but we know that they will turn out for good if it is our desire to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. May God help us to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all of the promises that you give in your word and all the repetition for we need to hear that. We need to see that sin never leads to the, the end that we want. That trusting in you always leads to good. That through the times of temptation and testing, you are shaping us, molding us. We thank you that you have sent your son, he who did not turn to the left nor to the right, but sought to do your will and your will alone because he delighted in you, his greatest blessing. Lord, may your people here see that as their greatest blessing, to walk with you, to talk with you, to live, to make much of you. And forgive our many sins for the sake of your son, we pray. Amen.